Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, featuring 2nd Edition AD&D players and DM Options books. In this special series, Brandis and I are taking a close look at these special books that are often considered D&D Edition 2.5. On the first day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me Skills and Powers, Part 1. In a pear tree. Brandis. In a pear tree, yes. Some of these things would have served better in a pear tree. So... <laughs> so when skills and powers came out um like a lot of people i'd been playing second edition for a few years and uh i was um hmm, about about 15 well, I was around 15 when i picked this up and uh had plenty of time to love it for its really intensive character customization but friends it still had more character customization than I could figure out how to employ. And that is saying something because I had nothing but spare time. <laughs> so I, I found it really interesting in, in preparing for this episode. I actually read the forewords that the author, the authors wrote Doug Niles and Dale Donovan wrote these forewords and, and basically it's been a long time since I've, since I've read the forwards of these books, if I even read them ever before. Um, really, they are focusing on the fact that the idea here is to give people more choices. And yeah. I think if that's the main goal, they succeeded. I definitely agree. Uh, second edition classes are, other than uh, The Thief, are significantly light on internal customization. Uh, you pretty much get what the class gives you, and maybe that is some extra proficiency slots here or there, but mostly um, on a mechanical level, uh, Fighter Alice and Fighter Bob look awful similar. Mm -hmm. uh, and on, on some level, Skills and Powers is trying to put that to rest, and in a similar way, combat and tactics wants to make sure that their round of actions doesn't look the same. Yep. And, and that's an interesting set of goals, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, well, one, one of the ways... What that winds up accomplishing, I think, is another question. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say, is one of the ways that they attempt to accomplish such a feat is they introduce the concept of character points. And they... they yeah create a, a setup where you use so-called character points, CPs, to build your character. Uh, you start with a certain number of points, and um, you spend those points on skills and powers, which I guess is aptly named. Um, and then after each session, instead of, uh, well, I guess, I don't know, instead of, but I sort, it sort of depends on the DM, how the DM wants to do it. But really, everyone is supposed to gain three to five character points when they increase in level. And then they spend those points on things that they would like to buy, skills and powers, that they would like to buy for their character. Um, right. Uh, weapon proficiency right. is non-weapon proficiency exactly. is that kind of deal. Right. And, of course, the book also then includes a ton of different options. It also includes uh, multiple methods for rolling your ability scores. It includes uh, the ability to um, 
include a character background with, uh, you know, it has this interesting background event table right in the very beginning of chapter one. And, you know, you can, you can roll on this table and find that your PC was uh, homeless or enslaved or accused of a crime or, um, you know, made a powerful enemy at some time previously. And, you know, the, from the modern perspective, I don't know how uh, innovative this feels. But well, but back in 1995 – with you. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to say, it, it looks to me a lot like a lot of the, um, you know, D6 or D8 tables mm-hmm. that we're seeing more and more in every new background. Right. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you go to the sections of Salt Marsh and um, uh, Descent into Avernus and um, uh, Wafer's uh, Guide to Eberron, mm-hmm. where they're showing you how to really link each background to the setting, you see a lot of these like D6 and D8 tables of events in your life mm-hmm. to help you build a, a backstory. And I want to say Xanathar's guide with its uh, section on random character generation sort of has a lot of the same feel to mm-hmm. it. Uh, so so I, I think it's, I think it's not too bad. I think that the uh, suggested non-weapon proficiencies um, isn't really serving anyone all that well. Right. But other than that, it's, Okay. I mean, I, I guess uh, my my thought about it was nowadays this seems kind of you know well of course somebody's going to have an interesting background and they're going to try to have sure. their background and relate it to the the character that they want to play and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But back in 1995, that wasn't necessarily the mindset of the average player. Although for sure some people yes, but. In terms of even even the sort of the what is it the brown cover books the players handbooks right um, the com- yeah. the complete guides with all the kits and whatnot uh, those always offered suggestions but it wasn't really if I remember and I could be misremembering it wasn't really codified for any of those classes how to select a background that was appropriate to what you wanted to do it just sort of assumed hey I want to play a samurai you're going to pick a background that matches a samurai's background or hey I want to play yeah. I want to play a cleric who you know lost faith in their god and switched deities and so there you're going to pick a background that's appropriate to that but it didn't really present it in this way I guess yeah I think this has going for it the intrusion of something unexpected mm-hmm. as a spur to creativity. Right. Um, and, and that really works for some people and really doesn't for others. Mm-hmm. And Hey, <laughs> um, nothing's for everybody. Uh, that's why, especially now, um, all of the random tables of events in your life, uh, are going to say, you know, roll or choose. Right. Right. Kind yeah. of thing. And also you can just choose something not on the list if you have an idea you like more. They just want to feed you some prompts for your creativity. Um, and, and that's really what this is. Because, uh, I mean, this this says roll or choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, 
so, so I think the character point system that this book is here to introduce uh, really, really shows us sort of uh, the designers responding to the 90s as they happened. Right? <laughs> uh, That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> hey, man, like they're actually engaging with other stuff that's going on right. in design. Like you look at um, you look at the second edition player's handbook it, it released in 89. It's much less responsive to other things going on in mm-hmm. design because um, D&D hasn't seen an actual challenge to its supremacy in 89. Mm-hmm. That, that challenge to its supremacy is going to happen just a couple of years later uh, coming out of practically my hometown, not quite, but nearly stone mountain, Georgia mm-hmm. um, as white wolf uh, doesn't unseat D and D as the most popular game by any means, but it figures out how to draw in a market of gamers that D and D didn't even like recognize to right. exist. Right. Uh, I, 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 almost you could say uh, preferentially ignored. <laughs> Uh, arguably yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, by the time I was gaming, um, like the people I was around definitely saw it as you know, two different great ways to have fun. Um, uh, but the world of darkness system, um, uh, with its system of, um, dots and experience points to buy more dots in all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, uh, it's certainly not the, you know, we're going to quote you a, a build cost for every individual feature that you see here, but it's not that far off either because of how merits work in uh, World of Darkness games. Um, merits are fairly close to all the stuff you have going on with different uh, uh, race and class um, features at different mm-hmm. costs. Um so, I mean, it's a it's a build point system, as D and D has never really engaged with before this book, and I I can't help but see it as a response to um, World of Darkness and maybe also GURPS and other games in in those veins that while they weren't again unseating D and D. They were uh, offering competition. They were the, they, they were the significant right. challenge, such as it was, yeah. right? Um, and in principle, I've always loved uh, a build system, um, and all the LARPs that I'm involved with are build systems in one form mm-hmm. or another. But um, yeah, it's interesting that D and D has. You know, dabbled with it a few times, but always rejected it for a, uh, a class and level system. Um, what? How do you feel about? Because I mean, um, you're you're kind of uh, you're you're mentioning you know the the idea of you know changing how many dots you have in different you know 
attributes and whatnot. How do you feel about what this book does with, um, you know, the sub abilities? You know, it it introduces strength, and then it has like, because because on one hand you're saying, well, the, you know, they had a significant challenge, and that challenge what was coming from this sort of um, these these sort of more story game kind of systems where yeah. where you're using a point build thing because you can do that within the constraints of that system and it and it works relatively well and you can still have abilities and attributes and etc cetera, etc cetera. but you know D&D you don't it's not you can't just sort of clamp onto the outside of that so they, you know but then then they they sort of introduce these these extra sub abilities like there's not now not only strength there's also stamina and muscle that tell you about you know yeah. fatigue versus you know weight carrying allowance versus how actual how much strength and damage you can do and and that sort of thing and then there's there's what is it dexterity has aim and something else would it balance aim and balance and yeah. so they sort of they sort of it's like this competition was coming from these sort of more story focused games and in response part of it they they created a mechanical way to to change your character by doing this character points and trying to point by everything. But then they also added more statistical like minutia because they added these sub abilities, right. which goes counter to the more story based. You know, it's like it's like they said, yes, let's go more story based and more point build and all that. But oh, by the way, we also want to make strength more granular and add you know, right. stamina and muscle, and you also still have an overall strength score. And that that runs counter to, it seems like, what <laughs> that comparison you're making. It's like, it's almost like someone yeah. said, yeah, let's let's do some of that story stuff and we'll do this point by stuff and we'll throw in this background stuff where you might have been a criminal and we'll, we'll suggest some things. Oh, but let's also increase these statistical things because we still want some of our players to buy this book. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, like like again. I I recall engaging with the the very small player community that I had when these books came out, and you know I recall that there was a subset of my gaming group. So talking about a subset of six or seven people, just right. it's a niche audience, folks. Um, uh, there was a sub. Uh, there was one guy at the table. Uh, let's call it what it was. Um, who really did have a thirst for that level of customization and uh, really wanted to engage deeply with the system mastery that it mm -hmm. made possible, that it rewarded. Um, he, like everyone with any sense, he was going to gleefully tank his stamina <laughs> right. score and crank his muscle score as far as of course he was because of uh, course yeah because I mean, of get course. out of here right <laughs> right right that's, that's what right. bonuses are I mean folks. we you know, know we just had you. that conversation uh, about about this the eighteen percentage uh, in our last episode one of our last most recent yeah. episodes you know it's sort of like of course it feels great to roll that and get really yeah. high stats well of course you're going to increase your muscle up the wazoo. <laughs> uh, but yeah like it's it's so nitpicky and um it, it's a whole mindset of of the game that i have just trended mm -hmm. away from so hard uh in in the last 
uh, okay, fine. You know, uh, twenty six years. <laughs> it's uh, a long uh, trend as a, as a trend line <laughs> over my twenty six. Well, yeah. uh, it's it's the direction I've been kind of moving um, over most of that time. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. I found some of the customization options of early third really engrossing, um, and it just took. Uh, a few scant years of uh, the 3.0 uh, production glut to show me that <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. someone had made a terrible mistake, and that mistake was not ameliorated in 3.5. Um, though, again, I love 3.5 when it came out, um, just in in some different regards. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, there is an audience for uh, extreme customization of all sorts of different kinds. And, you know, I I look at this as uh, very much in the vein of uh, the, the fourth edition player who says, well, look, I see that I am proficient in athletics and, I understand that, that covers both climbing and swimming and jumping. Um, I'm fine with my character being great at climbing and jumping, but I come from a desert desert culture. I, I've never seen mm-hmm. water deep enough to swim in. I don't think I should be good at that. Uh, comma space, and I think the game should pay me for saying so. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that's not to veer too wildly off topic. That's the big trade-off of fourth ed's whole skill dynamic, as opposed to the third edition skill point system, which again is another of our uh, prior episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of, um, a lot of conversational interest to ha- be had about, you know, sub abilities and sub ability checks. They, they kind of do what they do. Um, and it, it's just a way to be, you know, one or two points better at this flavor of the thing, uh, as opposed to being good at the other flavor of the thing. And like, I guess God bless the DM who is going to have enough, uh, weightlifting challenges that stamina looks like a good, <laughs> buy as compared to muscle you know what i mean here's here's the real deal with this though because then they do it with they do it with all the attributes right so there's uh there's you know there's there's uh uh intelligence gets uh reason and knowledge constitution gets health and fitness dexterity aim and balance uh strength is stamina and muscle and then wisdom is intuition and willpower right and so here's 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 my thing um uh, of course, then what does charisma get? Oh, charisma gets leadership, right? Oh, leadership and yes, appearance. Yes, yes, right. So Because they have to slide right. comeliness yes. back into the game. Yeah, yeah, of course. So here, here's my thing about this. If you're playing this game, that's a really different game than everybody yeah. else that was playing second edition at the time, right? Yeah. That's a really different game. If, if you use this book... And you use character points, and you are actually building it the way that this is suggesting. And I, I don't mean that as a comment on the quality of it or whether it's good or bad. I just mean 
the actual mechanics in this book make you play a different game than second edition. That's why it's considered 2.5. Um, I think that saying that the sub abilities make that happen is no, not a, just a them. Bit reaching. Yeah, not Once just you get them. To the rest of what's in this book, right. no question. Right. Yes. No. no I. I yeah. I didn't mean to imply just that. I meant. I mean all of it. That's yeah, just yeah. the beginning of it. You learn about character points. You get a little thing on backgrounds, and then you learn that the abilities have completely changed. I mean, yeah. well, you add a ton of abilities, right? And then you go into all the other stuff. It's that just leads right into it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely here to be sort of a uh, ground up rebuild of the character creation section by by any standard, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what most of the, this book is going to offer. It's not until we get to quite late in the book that it's not pretty straight up just the character creation section. Let's take it from the top, um, though. You, you get the whole equipment section over again. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the next chapter up is racial requirements. And it may come as no surprise to frequent listeners to this, uh, this show that I have little but scorn for the the whole dynamic of the uh, – the racial level limit, I am, I am no fan hereof. And uh, it's also no mystery that I have a great deal of scorn for <laughs> for the for those those caps and the racial limits. I mean, uh, talk about going out of your way to make the half work unappealing to play. <laughs> their best class has a uh, level cap at ten, and that's a, that's a fighter. Come on, yeah. throw throw me a freaking bone here, will ya? Yep. <sighs> yep. I mean, but half elves? Oh no! Oh no! Not only do you get unlimited progression as a bard, they also have sixteenth level progression as a ranger. I find it hel- luxury. I find it hilarious that they put bard as unlimited. Like, yeah. really? Everybody's running around playing half elf bards. I don't. <laughs> Okay. Well, they want them to. <laughs> well, that's apparently. right. Exactly. Well, that that's my point, right? <laughs> they will be now if they follow the the sort of the the way this is nudging you. <laughs> right. But 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 apparently, you know, half elves can be better rangers than elves can be wizards. Mm-hmm. Just reasons. Right. Just reasons. Uh, you know, reasons that are not going to be at mm-hmm. all supported in the actual text because. Like Forgotten Realms at the same time over in the Arcane Age system has to develop this whole beautifully mad Hmm. system for explaining why its elves are allowed to advance to ever higher levels in the wizard class while the rules say they can't. Mm -hmm. It's a whole thing Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, dwarves can't do anything. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. The dwarf in here cannot be a paladin. No. And 
Come on, Sam. Nobody can be a paladin unless they're human. I, I, I'm just saying, uh, right? If God, if, I can tell you if you want to talk about the the sort of prototypical dwarf, it was gruff, stout, hardworking, and lawful good, like highly honorable culture. But they can't be paladins. There's no. Their gods just don't ordain. Paladins. There's just no good reason. I mean, That's the thing. Uh, I agree. <laughs> I, that's, just, that's the best I can do. Like I agree. Okay, well, let's move on then. <laughs> like, it's just it, 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 it's such a it's such a weird perspective yeah. now, right? Yeah. Uh, because you know it started by sort of clothing itself in the terminology of game balance. Mm-hmm. Well, if you let someone be an elf who's a paladin, they'll be overpowered compared to a human who's a paladin because humans don't get any features. Right. And your solution to that isn't give the humans a feature. Right. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. It's well, let's restrict what other races can do then. Right. Right. And uh, <laughs> humanocentric settings you know, settings where uh, there's really intense pressure to play humans and everyone else is going to be marginalized as as an increasingly bad look in the year of our lord 2019 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one that I, I think I think it was a bad uh, look in 1995 when this was published actually uh, I think that's fair. I think that's. I fair. think e- even by I, then it was starting to be a really bad look, and it does not look good on this I, book either. I, I mean, I, I think that um, it was sort of more understandable as a "well, we're bound to our legacy, fine" kind of mm-hmm. thing in '95, dated, but oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but every passing year makes it look a little right. worse. Right. Um, but the the interesting thing about this section that I don't want to get lost is that um, half orc and half ogre are just races right mm-hmm. here. They're just playable, yep. playable races right here in the this alternate you know character creation of the player's handbook. Uh, that's not a thing in in second edition. There are no, there are no half orcs in the second edition player's handbook. There are no half ogres in the second what edition. What about handbook. deep deep like, gnomes? Uh, there are also right. none of those. There are also no right. gray dwarves playable in the second edition mm-hmm. player's handbook. Uh, you just got yourself lucky <laughs> that hill and mountain dwarves are uh, represented. Right. Uh, aquatic elves, you say? That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like uh, dark elves, just right there, uh, out in front mm-hmm. of God and everybody. Uh, like, oh, um, and, and so if, what this book is doing that's really nice is that it is really enormously expanding the uh, the definitions mm-hmm. of those races. Like what they what they do and what they're sort of about. Um, if you uh, really can't stand sub races, and I think there are good reasons to feel 
just uncomfortable with even the mm-hmm. word subrace, uh, then, you know, fair, super fair. But um, that that was not part of the common gaming understanding. It's not part of TSR's understanding in 1995. Right. And, yeah. Uh, but, but introducing Half-Orcs uh, is is interesting to even see here. Um, they, they get mighty short shrift, mighty short shrift. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the, their, their, uh, racial abilities are, uh, in provision 60 feet, uh, languages and, um, what, uh, another five points mm-hmm. to spend somewhere. Is it? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. 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 Five more points. They to get, spend. they get to choose so, five or 10 depending on yeah yeah so they can get an active sense of smell an acute taste an attack bonus a damage bonus a fitness bonus infravision yeah mining detection abilities or a stamina bonus yeah so setting them up as sort of animalistic unless they are a little bit dwarven in their outlook that is <laughs> weird it does at least kind of um, gesture vaguely in the direction of the story that you know orcs and dwarves fight this mm-hmm. war underground all the time. But yeah, um, I mean, half orcs are just underpowered by any standard in the world, um, and I, I don't think there are too many ways to. Uh, read their uh, racial level limits being yeah. as tight as they are as anything other than the game trying to steer you away from them because they don't really see them as yeah. suitable PCs. They're just sort of grudgingly allowing them. And well, these people aren't really good enough to be people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and um, not that half no. have And then, you know, in the later in that chapter, then they talk about monstrous character races, right? And right. and they also yeah, sure. have level limits, uh, <laughs> and some of yep. yes, uh, many of which are far more generous. That's true. Than some of them, and then some that are much worse. A full ogre, non half ogre, can be third level if they're a priest. Hey, at least they can get to twelve. <laughs> right, it's better order. than the half work. Unlike <laughs> yeah, unlike right. the half uh, I mean, even even the bullywug, when you break it down. Is actually mm-hmm. faintly more generous yeah. than the half orc. That is, that is how short of shrift the the half orc is getting in this book. Uh, well, look at the the centaur. Right? Yeah. Sign I me mean, up. I want to be a centaur. <laughs> a centaur druid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they have it going on. Yeah, and you know. They still have mm-hmm. – um, they're still fairly constrained yeah. just by what level limits are, but it looks great compared to most of these guys. Whoa. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. well, look at the orc. Like here we see that the, the half-orc is just the worst of both worlds. It, it is It is not even a midpoint between the orc's limitations and the human's absence of limitations. It is – just worse, mm-hmm. and that's that's a heck of a choice. 
That is a heck of a choice. Um, so here, here's my sort of last thought on, on this. I, I find some of the choices very interesting uh, with respect to level limits and whatnot. However, I also think that it's really interesting that they included so many alternative monstrous races. Um, I, I, I find it very interesting because I think that I definitely agree. this is one of those places where they kind of hit that mark, you know, that, that, that thing I mentioned in the beginning of, you know, their goal was to just provide choices. Now they d- didn't necessarily hit it out of the park with every single race, but they went a long way toward allowing for a, a wide, wide sort of array of different races that you could possibly play uh, and have a relatively viable character, at least for a few sessions. For sure. Um, and a bunch of these I, uh, I recall seeing earlier in, um, in second edition in a book, the name of which is escaping me. Um, it's not monster mythology. It's a different one of the, um, the, the brown cover books, but, but yeah, it, it offered a lot of these, uh, in one form or another. Mm -hmm. And then there are things that that book offered that didn't make it, it didn't make the cut here, like the Fearbolg and the Pixie. Um, and it's interesting just to see what they favored and what they didn't. Um, like it, it's still kind of fascinating to me that uh, the Githzerai makes it in as a player option here, but not the Githyanki. And I think they were sort of more pointedly casting Githyanki as villains, but mm-hmm. a lot of the races in this list get cast as villains. So what? what's the deal? Yeah. Why yeah. not there? Some of the choices were definitely interesting. I wonder if it was a space consideration. I mean, they must have had some sense of, we think this will not be quite popular enough to make the cut mm-hmm. somewhere, mm-hmm. hard to know where. Um, well, yeah, but they put mongrel men in here too. <laughs> I mean, you know. I'll uh, tell you, man. I, yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, do you have any final words? I think that'll be the end of of the first day of Christmas. Yeah, I think that, that about wraps me up for uh, our, our first part on uh, skills and powers. Um, I, I feel firmly lodged in this here pear tree. <laughs> Excellent. Do you know what what, what we're going to get for the second day of Christmas? Uh, it's it's two turtle doves. Oh, perfect. All right. Well. And a partridge in a pear tree. You, you get a new partridge in a new pear tree every day. That's what the song says. In a, and the partridge. You know, it. In anticipation of that, I think I'm going to say goodbye, and we will see all of our listeners next time. (laughs) Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, (laughs) I've been Brenda Stoddard, and with me as always is my excellent co-host, Sam Dillon. Look, mate, three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it... They won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. That one doesn't even make sense, because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. 
Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice, beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? Or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies? Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullsplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow and use the coupon code Tomeshow with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends.